Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. You heard the title of the message, Pentecost, Present, Future, Connector. Let's open our scripture, uh, our Bibles to first book of Peter, the letter penned by our brother Peter, and we're going to stay with the first chapter. So, first Peter one. And I read, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Note particularly verse 3. Who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then note again verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Let's turn to... Hebrews chapter 9, few pages from where we were, so Hebrews 9, and I'm going to pick it from verse 11, and we see that the writer of Hebrews has just 
presented us with the facts of the tabernacle service and all the sacrifices that were done which could not, in essence, remove our sins. And now, that is being contrasted with what Christ did. And so verse 11, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So brethren, once again, let's note the last verse, verse 15, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Brethren, what is this inheritance? Let's go to a parable that Christ gave us in Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to break it he gave the parable of the virgins the talents all showing I mean particularly the, the virgins showing how much ready we have to be the bride for the bridegroom. But having said all that, he came to verse 31. And he makes this statement. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. 33. 
And he will set the sheep on his right hand by the goat on the left. Thirty-four. Then the king will say to those on his right, right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Once again, Come, you blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So we are called to receive a promise of eternal inheritance. Christ, through his mercy, he has also begotten us again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that would not fade away, reserving heaven for us. But now we are getting a connection that the thing that we actually inherit, what we actually inherit is the kingdom. So, it stands to reason that we cannot expect that we have an inheritance and it's one property and then at the time that we are going to inherit something, it's a different thing. So, what we inherit and our inheritance, obviously, is the same thing. So, the kingdom is what the Father has prepared for you and I And all that come to him through Christ, the kingdom, is our inheritance. So, in Matthew 25, 34, the king is asking us to go and take inherit, to take possession of our inheritance. Brethren, we went through these scriptures because of the title that we have. And it's in itself a task that we set in for ourselves this afternoon. Because we are saying that Pentecost, which we are looking forward to in a few days, is a connector between our present state which we will address shortly, and our future, which we have just established, that our future, what we're looking forward to, is our inheritance, to inherit our inheritance. And that is the kingdom of God. Our future, as we have seen in these sample scriptures, and there are more that we could read, It's about an inheritance of our real estate. The kingdom of God prepared from the foundation of the world is our real estate. 
Keep in mind, brethren, that inherent in this inheritance is immortality, which is just assumed in this presentation. And it's also a necessary precursor for immortality that there should be resurrection from the dead. So that's also assumed. So when I talk about our inheritance, I have assumed these as understood, that they need to be part of the package. Because the kingdom is eternal kingdom. So perishable cannot inherit imperishable. And corruption cannot inherit incorruptible. So we have to be incorruptible. We got to be immortal to inherit the kingdom. So those are assumed. So I believe it is fair to say that these scriptures that we've looked at are enough to show the future that awaits us. So now let's look our our present. And by doing that, then we'll be able to see how Pentecost, our understanding of the Feast of Pentecost, then becomes a connector between the present that we're going to look at and our future. First, let me give you a quote from CGI Home Bible Study Course number 11, which is Understanding the Day of Pentecost. And on page 4 of this document, I read, quote, Once we are converted and receive the Holy Spirit, we are righteous. Because God sees Christ in us. We are not righteous of ourselves. We are owned by God when we receive his spirit. And he then commands us to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And they quote in Ephesians 5.11. Continuing, it says, We are admonished to rebuke and expose evil, or else our silence will be interpreted as approval. God commands us not to have fellowship with, it, with unrighteousness and not to receive contrary doctrine into our homes. And it quotes 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 2 John 10 and 11. So brethren, let's build on this quote that I just gave you from the Bible study course. And we're going to build particularly on the part that says, once we are converted and receive the Holy Spirit, we are righteous because God sees Christ in us. Of course, when we receive the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say, but of course, I think it includes after baptism, which may tie in with the Bible studies that uh, comes after service. Um, I would like to emphasize this point because 
it does appear to me that when it is stated the way it is stated, that we receive the righteousness of Christ when we are converted, most people are very comfortable with that. They find it, this is not a big deal. I mean, we understand that. They are comfortable. But when you turn that statement around to say, for example, that once we are converted and receive the Holy Spirit, we are no longer sinners. The moment you do it like that, then some of us, I have noted, become uncomfortable. Because he said, we are no longer sinners. As if to say that they still want to maintain the status of being a sinner. Brethren, is that a true reflection of our presence? I mean, if we say or we want to believe that we are sinners, Is that a true reflection of what Christ has done for us? And are we not supposed to rather agree with the Bible study that says when we, we become converted and receive the Holy Spirit, we are righteous. Of course, if you are righteous, then you are not a sinner. But if we don't bring in the righteousness and we just say, brethren... Because we receive Christ, we are not sinners. I'm not a sinner. Any baptized member of the body of Christ is not a sinner. And then some people say, no, but... Okay, oh, no, but what? You can't have it both ways. You can't be righteous and be sinner at the same time. Because we're going to read... A couple of scriptures from Romans. So let's dig into Romans as we continue to review our present. And this meaning, our present meaning when Christ has come into the picture. So Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, and we're going to go to verse 21. And by the way, from the way I have understood it as I read the book of Romans, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 until you get to, or let me say chapter 3, 1 to verse 1 to 20. Pretty much no good news. It's serious indictment against man. God's, and if, 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 if you would put in specifics, like God's people that he knew them, and those who were trying to achieve righteousness through the law, and the mess that happened. It's all indictment. That's it, 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 it's like Paul is writing that letter when you begin to read and keep reading in chapter 1, chapter 2, and first part of chapter 3. It's like 
Paul, where are you taking us to? This is hopelessness. And then, chapter 3, verse 21, he makes a sharp turn. And Paul says, but now, oh, contrast. So everything that I was telling you that is so hopeless, brethren, listen. But now, the righteousness that you wanted to achieve by your own works, which doesn't work, because you can't achieve anything. By the way, who is looking for God? There's no one righteous. Because we can't do righteousness by ourselves. But he makes that turn here. And he said, brethren, he didn't put that brethren there, I, I did. He said, but now, the righteousness of God, apart from law, is revealed. This is the moment that the thing that you really wanted, that some of you tried to even seek it on their own, through the law, going through the rituals, and doing everything you wanted to do, it is that, that righteousness is now being revealed outside of the law, a part of law. Being witnessed by the law and prophets. The Torah and the prophets spoke about it. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe. And then he brings a bit of the old story. For there is no difference. And he mentioned a couple of uh, some groups of people there. So this is where the difference comes in. There's no difference. All. All of those groups of people that he mentioned earlier, the Greeks and the Gentiles, uh, sorry, the, the Greeks and the Jews, as he mentioned there for purposes of his analysis, there's no difference. Those who sought after God through the law and those who didn't, there's no difference. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time your present. When we receive Christ in faith because we know that His blood, His death is the significant and enough demonstration of God's mercy towards us. And his demonstration of his righteousness. This present time. Their present time. Our present time. 
God is demonstrating, verse 20 says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So, with all the hopelessness that Paul built up, and just a few verses before we come to verse 21 in chapter 3 of Romans, you hear very damnable statements about the condition of man. But then hope comes through Christ. And then it washes that state away. If we receive Christ through faith. And then he justifies us. He becomes our justifier. That is to say, he Present us before God, Christ present us before the Father as if we've never sinned. As if we know we have ever sinned. But at the time he present us before the Father, it's all gone. That is why in the Bible study it says that after we receive Christ, we become righteous and then it continued to say but this righteousness is not of ourselves it is not me going to pentecost next sunday week the sunday week or going to the feast of tabernacles all my life that's what makes me righteous it has nothing to do with that not an iota. Nothing. Zero. No. Nothing. But the righteousness that is from Christ, that is put on us. Let's read another scripture from Paul. Let's probably a couple of pages for you. Or just a page to chapter 5, Romans 5, and let's continue verse 16 to 19. 5, 16 to 19, and we're going to take it home here. And I read. And the gift is not like that which came from the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reign through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness. Let me pick it up again. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, that is Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense, oh sorry, therefore as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19. Let's pay attention. For as by one man's dis obedience, many were made sinners. So also, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So this is where the study had, I suppose, picked the cornerstone statement from. Because we got these two opposing positions. All because of one man on each side. So on the side of my left, that is the side where through one man's disobedience, and we know who that man is. Adam. Through Adam's disobedience, sin... Condemnation became part of our lot, our nature. And so we all were identified as sinners. You don't have to do anything to get yourself out. There's nothing you can do to get yourself out. You are at this stage. Sinners, period. Nothing that I can do, nothing you can do to get yourself out of one man's disobedience. But then, God knows, whilst we were still sinners, at the time that we were still here, at the time that we were still ungodly, at the time that we were still helpless, he sent Christ. And then through one man's obedience, that is to demonstrate God's righteousness, perfect righteousness, that nobody else can do apart from being demonstrated by the, death, the life and death of Jesus Christ. That man's obedience, no gal, no sin found in him. He was tempted on all points, just like we are, but without sin. So when he had gone through all that obedience, made 
many righteous. So you got two opposing ends. Here, we were here. And there are still more people here. Then by the instrumentality of Jesus Christ and the faith that we have exercised in that death, he made us righteous. Righteous. Meaning, no longer sinners. We don't have that stamp no more. Adam doesn't have no control over us anymore. Because we have moved away from condemnation to justification. Brethren, I would emphasize with every ounce of me that I'm not talking that you cannot sin. Because the moment I say that, that is my first sin. Because that's a lie. But your ability to sin, being a righteous man, doesn't make you a sinner. Let's get this. The possibility that when you are here, you can sin, doesn't move you back to Adam's control. This is like a stamp. This is a judicial process. We are in court, brethren. Get it? We are in court. And so you stand before a judge, stand accused of a crime. You are a criminal. And then, let's say you were even convicted. That's what you can actually believe that you were actually, you are actually a criminal. So you are not convicted. And let's suppose we have this law in Canada. I don't know the full remit of the law, but it exists. Pardon. The power of pardon. Every head of state in any nation, even a rogue nation, they got that power of pardon. You can be the worst offender. If they raise it on you and say they pardon you, that crime is gone from the books. You may have been the most heinous sinner, offender. But when you receive the pardon from the state, that crime goes off the books. You can't meet that person and say, look at him. He's a criminal. You may be recalling something in history. You say, he was a criminal. Yes, he was a criminal. But at the time that he received the pardon, he's not a criminal. If you say so, you are wrong so. Because he's not. Because he received the pardon. That is what Christ has done. Absorbed us of that penalty that we were supposed to get. Because there is the criminal that gets the penalty. So he removes the penalty and says, I'm not going to let you face it because I've given you a new title. You're no longer a criminal. You are innocent. That is the equivalent of righteousness. You are innocent. 
But this innocence, you have to live within the laws now. I'm not going to say, go and so become a criminal again. So that this is where there will be a deviation, right? The extent that that uh, parable can go. The pardon and what Christ has done. We can go and sin again. But Christ doesn't leave us and say, the moment he brings you into the new state, we're talking about the present, our present. We are righteous. That's what we want to establish. As righteous people, when God is taking you on a journey as a righteous man or a woman, it is not today he taking you and then you do something wrong and then he, he go away from you. Now you're a sinner. And then he come and save you and take you to his side and then you're going for 30 seconds and, and then you, now you're a sinner. No, that's not doing that. That's not how God deals with us. Go to the story of Israel. He may punish you. He may knock you. He may hit you. But he keeps you on the way. Until such time that you yourself, you don't want to be there. And we learn about this in other scriptures in Hebrews. That there's a point when you can throw yourself off under the, the bus. That you want the bus to run over you. That's your choice and your choosing. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the one who has submitted and what and what and wants God to lead and direct him or her. Brethren, I will leave it there. But just to two things. There's a scripture, I didn't reference it here, that says, Is there a righteous man that does not sin? It's in the Bible, right? Is there a righteous man that does not sin? No. The Bible answered it. That's not. But that righteous man is not a sinner. So you can't say the righteous man faulted. And then he became a sinner. We, we can go here. There are three men. Three men that God himself has, has put his, uh, his testimony on them. Noah. Job. And Daniel. God himself said, these men, they are righteous men. I don't know about Daniel. But as for Noah. And Job. They sinned. We know where they sin. But God, at the time God was giving the testimony about them, they had gone through all that process. What I'm saying is that, brethren, let's take our present state very, very serious. Otherwise, as we're going to move into the connection of our present and our future, we will miss it. And we will not think any big of our future if we don't know our present. James, James chapter 5, 
when James is talking about, is there anybody sick among you? Go to the elders, let the elders pray for you, and all that. James ends by saying, but the effective prayer of who? A righteous man avails much. Brethren, this is not a strange thing. As I say, when I say righteous, everybody gets it. But when you flip it around and say, the opposite is that you're not a sinner. That's where the problem is. And that's where I want us to get both of them and move with it because it is empowering. And it helps you to do the work and go into your future inheritance. Brethren, let's take a quick look at John chapter 1. But the question that we need to ask before we go there is, but who really are the righteous? Now, all that I've tried to do in this present is to establish that when we come to Christ, he made us righteous. That is the state in which he has made us. And we've got to walk in that righteousness. That's all that I want to establish. But the question I'm asking now is, who really are the righteous? It's kind of a, a funny question. Because I've, I've said those who have been made righteous, but I'm still asking, who are they? What, what is our operative understanding? And that's why I want us to come to First John. First John, and I'm going to read it quickly here, 1, 11 to 13. And it says, it's talking about Jesus Christ. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them, he gave the right. It's a right. He gave them the right to become children of God. Sorry? No, I said John. Okay, sorry. John 1. That's what I said. Okay, I'm sorry about that. So are we on track? John chapter 1. And I'm reading from 11, 12, and 13. Jesus Christ, the pronoun, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's why when we read Peter, I said, note, born, uh, sorry, begotten us again. Said, note that. Now, here we have 
somebody giving a testimony about Jesus Christ. And John is saying that Jesus Christ came to his own. And I strongly believe, and if people agree, that's fine. That here his own is reference to Israel. His brethren. His own kinsmen. And his kinsmen rejected him. But as many as of his kinsmen that received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. To those people, he brought them back through justification. That is forgiving them their sins and seeing them as if they've never gone wrong. God gave them right standing again through Jesus Christ. And that empowers them to assume sonship again. To be born. To become a son back into God's family. So, the righteous that we talk about, it's in its right sense, yes, that is the state in which we are in. But who are in that state? We would be the children of God who have now been brought back, receive their life back because we had gone away. Israel had removed herself. And when we read Hebrews, it said, He forgave us the sins that happened under the first covenant. He forgave us the sins that happened under the first covenant. So we know that these people, Israel, we sinned, we went away. So those sins under the first covenant He came, he justified us, and he gave us the right to come back into sonship. We're going to tie that with Romans 8 shortly. So, brethren, the remnant of Israel that accepted Jesus Christ, the Jews that accepted Jesus Christ, those who accepted after that, and us that have accepted at this time, Christ is bringing us into sonship. We are coming back because we got the right now to become the children of God. Without the work that Jesus Christ did, without coming we couldn't get the right no more. We've lost that right to be God's children. But through that, he made us righteous, and then we become the children of God. Now, what connects us with our inheritance? So, 
this is our present state as righteous people who have been brought back into right standing with God as God's children. What, what is the connection? What is the connection? So this is where Pentecost fits in. Connecting our present and our future. Let me quote again the document that I started with. That is the home study, um, home Bible studies number 11. Again, it says, There is a sign that identifies God's people. And that sign is the day of Pentecost. Feast of fruits. First fruit, sorry. The day of Pentecost identifies those who have God's Holy Spirit. Those who are God's elect. Those who will be resurrected when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. That is from the study. Let's make the connection. Matthew 21. Matthew 21. We're going to pick from 33. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 to 39. But let me go to some salient portions. This is talking about a parable that Jesus gave a man who made a vineyard. He hedged it, dug the wine press, and built a tower, and then he leased it out. And then he will occasionally go back to see how progress is and to get some um, dividends. But let's look at what happens. I just want to break into the test here. So whenever he would send somebody to go and get, this is my rendering, a dividend, they would make mess of the messengers. So the landowner said, verse 37, Then at last, then last of all, he sent his son to them. And the landowner is thinking, they will, sorry, respect my son because I have been sending nobodies. People that are not related to me and they mess them up. They beat them up. They kill them. Let me send my own son. That they will know that, oh, that is the landowner's son. They will respect him and give him his due. But let's look at what happened. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. 
So they took him and they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. This is why we're making the connection. Look, the son is going into the father's property. And then these people look at him and say, look, it's worse than ever. Now it's the guy who would actually inherit this property. So if we are able to get rid of him, we can take the property. Because there's not going to be any more error. So brethren, I'm bringing this parable to show you the power of being a son. Being a child. Because to you belongs the power to inherit. Only sons inherit. Period. And here we're not talking gender son. So don't limit it to as if we're talking about a boy. Because there are other scriptures, as we've read, that you will talk about them in terms of children. So you hear the sonship, but broaden your horizon. It's only a son that can inherit. So for you to inherit the connection, we've talked about our inheritance at the end when Christ comes, the kingdom. But for you to inherit, you've got to be a son. And that is what Christ is making us. Giving us the right to become the children of God. You know, unrighteous, drunkards, extortioners, corrupters, uh, adulterers, idolaters, liars, the list is not exhaustive, cannot inherit. They can't. Because those cannot qualify to be sons. Because they are still in the state of sinners. They have to come to be righteous and are sons before they can inherit. Revelation 21.7, I, re- I, I just tell you quickly. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be to, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. You see? If we overcome, when we are here, if we overcome, what we have to do is overcoming, not that side. No. Overcoming is for righteous people. Sinners don't overcome anything. They already overcome them. But we have to overcome the interface between the spiritual and the flesh. We have to overcome that as righteous people. And so, we are the ones that could be in sonship to God. And we are the ones that can inherit. Without sonship, no inheritance. Ephesians 1. I'm going to race through these scriptures here. Ephesians chapter 1, 
verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 13, and 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having, the word comes again, you know, I can't say it. Having, (laughs) you see, it's like a trauma. (laughs) Having, I like yours, because that's easier to say. Having predetermined where we're going to be. <laughs> you see, I'm dancing around the word. People, you know. I don't know why I struggle with that word. God, having predetermined us. To adoption as sons. God has already determined that if we believe in Christ, He's going to make us sons. He's going to turn us into sons. And then, having done that, verse 13, in whom. Ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the precious possession, unto the praise of his glory. The link here again. The Holy Spirit is the deposit that we received as sons. It's the proof that we are sons. You see the the linkages and the connections? It's the proof that we are sons. We are righteous, we are sons, and the proof is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the proof that we are going to inherit. It is the earnest of our inheritance. So brethren, as we find in Pentecost, the first fruit of the harvest, first fruit, first fruit, those that Christ harvested, those that God is harvesting at this time, in this harvest time, the elect, the remnant, the righteous saints, we have the Pentecostal Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is acknowledged On the day of Pentecost, we have that. And on that day, God is also showing how that day he did that harvest of sons. The first fruits 
And then the Holy Spirit hid the deposit. And all that we are waiting is to enter into our inheritance, the kingdom of God on earth. Finally, let's try to wrap it up with our main scripture, Romans 8. Romans 8. And when you start Romans chapter 8, brethren, the reason why some of us struggle with the fact that we no longer sin it, sometimes could be attributed to Romans chapter 7. Because Paul says some things in Romans chapter 7 that if not carefully um, what's the word? If we don't rightly divide it, we might make it say things that it's not saying. And there's something that I have been taught both in this congregation, uh, I'm not, when, I mean, in the bigger body, I mean, is that, you say when you're doing Bible studies, one of the rules is that let clear scriptures explain the unclear scriptures. So, if Paul is saying some things in chapter 7 I don't really understand, let me read around it and see if I can make sense of what he's saying. So, some people believe that there's still some sin in us, and that's why they say, oh, we are still sinners. And so, because of that sin, they are comfortable Still accepting the label that they have to wash off. That they are still sinners. And because of that, they go to Romans 7. Because Paul says some things. I'm not going to repeat it because I need to move on. But it's clear what Paul says uh, in Romans 7. About the internal conflict in any man. But what I can tell you is what is clear. That will tell you what Paul is probably not saying. Because when Paul has said everything that he would say as a problem. The last thing he says in Romans 7. It said, so then. Let me backtrack. So the last thing he said. He said, oh wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So that's his question. After everything he said. And then this is his response. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it means there's a, there's a solution to everything he said. And that solution is Jesus Christ. And so he says, so then with my mind, I myself said the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. And that's still a problem. So then you go to... You continue, verse 8. And he said, therefore. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh. So if Paul just 
assuming he's saying that he's both walking in the spirit and in the flesh. He is saying that those who have moved away from condemnation, they don't walk according to the flesh. So you can't be double talking like that. That he is walking in the flesh, but he's also moved away from condemnation, and those who have moved away from condemnation do not walk according to the flesh. So maybe there's something I don't understand over there. So, but this one is clear. That there's no condemnation. That's why you can't be a sinner. Because if you're a sinner, there's condemnation. But for the righteous, there is no condemnation. You can condemn what God has justified. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's leave, let's leave that there. Now, let's move on. There's a lot of things that he say about the spirit and the rule of the spirit in our present life. But let's move forward to what we read. Let's move on to verse 18. Let's start from 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are debtors. We owe. We got to pay. But one thing you need to know is not to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything that we have to pay. Because we are not under the flesh. We don't live according to the flesh. We are not servants, slaves of the flesh. No more. So, whatever we owe, we don't owe to the flesh. But to live, in order that we will live according to the flesh. No. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit, then we put to death the deeds of the body. So that you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the Spirit comes in here again. As many as are led, the people that are here, who are being led by the Spirit of God, those are the people who are the sons of God. And those are the people who can inherit. So Pentecost empowers us into our inheritance. Pentecost is the empowering force that help us to walk in sonship because we have to be always be led by the spirit and as long as we are being led by the spirit we are the ones that could be called the sons of god and these are the people that can inherit nobody else can inherit the father because i'm going ahead of myself because the bible says we're going to be joined earth with and Christ is already sitting on the Father's throne. This is inheritance. And Christ says, we are both going to be sitting on thrones in his kingdom. So this is the crux of Pentecost. As an empowering force for us. 
that help us to launch into our inheritance. And if we miss Pentecost and its significance to us, the spirit enabling force that we no longer going to believe in this physical fleshy manner, but being led by the spirit of God so that we can be the sons of God so that we would qualify to inherit our fathers. And he says some other interesting things here. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again. That spirit is not going to take you here no more. It's freedom. Liberty. And when we receive the spirit that is not of bondage, but we receive the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see? So if you have ever said, Our Father in heaven, you are acknowledging what Paul is saying. That now you know. That you are a son. That's why you can say, oh, a father. It brings that familiar relationship that you can see. As our brother in turn says, dad. He brings it to our common vernacular. Dad. We can now say to God, our father. Without this spirit of adoption, we have nothing to say And we have no power in us to say, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children. Brethren, you have to have internal evidence that you are a child of God. You got to have internal evidence that you can inherit the kingdom of God. And if children... Then you are inheritor, heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. That's our overcoming that I, we said earlier. We need to overcome. If we stay on course, for everybody that will lead a godly life in this life, you will suffer persecution. If we stay on course, then we will continue to inherit with Christ. And then he said, there's nothing going on at this time that we can compare with our inheritance. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing that has happened to you or me that would compare favorably and that we can, based on that, say, I suffered enough. It's not worth it. We can't make that statement because there's nothing happening in this present time that is worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And the part that is so, so interesting is that for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. Brethren, we got to be the hope of the entire cosmos. 
the entire creation. Because they are waiting on us until God revealed the true nature and appearance of his son. Because first John says, we don't really know who we are. We don't know. But what we would know is that when Christ appears, we're going to be like him. But until now, if you ask me, I have no clue how he looks like. I believe it's something grandiose. But I have no clue. can't imagine it. So, because of that, there's this eagerness that we would be revealed. We would show. We would become to full fruition so that the whole universe will be glorying with us. Because they are waiting. Because everything has been subjected to futility. But it's been subjected to futility in hope that when we are revealed, everything else would be plain. And we can see everything as it's supposed to be seen. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, the first fruits, the Pentecost. Guys, Pentecost fruits, we also, the first fruits, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption. Here we're talking about the consummation of it. Because we already are sons. But the full consummation of it, the redemption of our body, we can't wait. We also, we are, are you not yearning? Well, maybe we are not. But listen to Paul. Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said, I, like, I, I want to be unclothed. Not that I want to be naked, but I want to put on more. That is immortality. So that when we take off this tent and we put on that new arrangement, the immortal personality, Paul can't wait. And he said, we've grown. We've grown. Because we look at everything going around and we wish that we were there. Like the kids will say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Let's wait. Patience. Patience. Let's wait. Let's wait. We are groaning. But let's wait. Let's be patient. We're going to get there. And we're going to put on that immortality as we get ushered into our glorious inheritance. Brethren, I think it's well said, but my conclusion statement is another quote from the home Bible study number 11. And it says, Is it possible to belong to Jesus Christ if you don't have God's Holy Spirit? From the scriptures that's been read in the studies, we see that without the Holy Spirit, we do not belong to Christ, and neither can be raised from the dead. We also see that the first group themselves are yearning for the time when they will become members of God's family. In addition, the whole creation is groaning in pain, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In Romans 8.33, we see 
that those God has chosen to receive the first fruit of his spirit are also called the elect. These elect Christians are those who have God's spirit and understand the plan of God. God has given the first fruit his Holy Spirit to seal and preserve them. The Holy Spirit we receive is called the guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee refers to the very small token amount or down payment of the Spirit we receive now. By receiving this earnest of the Spirit now, it is the same as receiving Christ. This gives us the power to become the sons of God. It is the guarantee to the first fruits that they will receive the fullness of his spirit and sonship in his family when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. Brethren, I hope we've been successful in showing the connection between our present and our future, which is what we understand with the Feast of Pentecost. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.